Today, four top mistakes adventure riders make on water crossings for our exclusive rider skills segment with Clinton Smout. What do you think they are? Well, stick around and see if you agree with Clinton and grab some tips that may make you a better rider today on Adventure Rider Radio's Rider Skills. My name's Jim Martin. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Before we get started, I want to thank these fine companies that helped get this episode out today. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com I'm Sam Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters, cyclepump.com. Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They've got 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. Sign up for their e-rider newsletter. It's free, maxbmw.com. Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, of course, this segment is not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. Now, just like building a house, unless you begin with a good foundation, then everything you put on top of it is a problem. The same goes for your riding skills. And in fact, every instructor I spoke with has mentioned at some time about having to break experienced riders of bad habits. So it's best to learn those skills to begin with. And today we're going to look at the top four mistakes adventure riders make while crossing water. Water crossings are often a dicey affair on a motorcycle. There are so many things that can go wrong. But at the end of the day, the biggest problem with the water crossing is not making the crossing and then what happens after that. And the internet is loaded with images of adventure bikes crossing creeks and rivers and puddles. And surprisingly, according to our today's guest, there are some common mistakes that are often repeated, repeated in those photos, repeated in the videos and repeated on local rides. Learn what the mistakes are and how to avoid them. And you're going to have no trouble crossing water on your motorcycle. Well, we've got to take Murphy's Law into account here, so let's just say most of the time. Water crossing mistakes, the top four. From an expert, multi-certified motorcycle instructor, off-road rider, and total motorcycle enthusiast, Clinton Smout is based in Ontario, Canada. He's been a motorcycle instructor for most of his adult life. He's the chief instructor at Smart Adventures. He's also a certified BMW off-road instructor and a bunch of other certifications he has. And with all these accomplishments, Clinton gets plenty of ride time. Ride time on street bikes, dirt bikes, adventure bikes, of course, ATVs and snowmobiles. He does hill climbs and trail runs and forest and street and mud. And of course, Clinton gets his share of water crossings. And you may not expect it from a high-level instructor, or at least not expect to hear it. But Chief Instructor Clinton Smout, 
makes mistakes, and he's not too proud to share them. So we're going to start with one of his mishaps or mistakes. And what I like about Clinton's stories of his personal mishaps is he usually manages to do it in front of a crowd. It's massive. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So you, you mentioned, Clinton, that you had a dunking. Is this your most recent one? Have you had a lot of water dunks? Yes. Oh, yes, sir. Okay, let's, uh, let's go with the most recent one then. Lots of baptisms, but two years ago at a BMW GS Challenge, the first day, what we do is rider training. So you don't have to show up for Friday, but if you do, we'll take you out in small groups and teach you curriculum that will help you in the next day's challenges. So I had seven people with me and I was riding my favorite bike is this very rare old BMW called an HP2. It's very lightweight, powerful bike. bike. Yeah, it's my favorite bike. I I've never had the bike, much. Clinton. I've never been lucky like you to have it, but I love the look of it because it's it's certain, it's got your boxer engine in it, but it looks like a full on, like a, 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 a dual sport on steroids almost. Yeah, well, it's a 400 pound, 1200 cc you know, 105 horsepower bike. So it's just wow. a weapon. Anyway, I stop in front of this huge puddle that I've been through a thousand times and it's on a two track where Jeeps and ATVs go. So what I always tell people is let your friend go first. I didn't have any friends, so I had to go first. So of course, people turn their cameras and their helmet cams on and in Clinton goes, the chief instructor, by the way, let me show you how. So I go in, unbeknownst to me, I hadn't checked by walking it or anything. A Jeep or something had made a huge hole on the right-hand tire track, which, which is what I chose to ride. What would have been two feet deep was about three and a half feet deep. So I lost the front end in the hole, went over the handlebars, and my bike fell over. And on the HP2, the air intake is on the right-hand side. It's like a snorkel above the head. And so it sucked water and hydrolocked. So when I push the bike out, of course, it won't start because it's full of water. So I had to have one of the customers tow me back to the shop, <laughs> which I used as a teaching lesson. We taught them how to tow. Well, of course. I mean, that way you, you deflect any sort of damage to your ego that oh, way. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> and then I got another bike and went back and we all tried the puddle, but on the left-hand side. Right. With the HP2, the uh, intake is right above the cylinder head? In other words, it's down that yeah. low? Yeah. Wow. Yes. So this... we added a hose from a shop vac. So when I do big water, if I'm going to do an enduro or anything, it comes up near the fairing now. Mm, right, a snorkel like like the four wheelers do. You know, you put the snorkel exactly. on there so you can run through water up to your windshield. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, what was your mistake there, by the way? Uh, I really should have walked through it or got a stick and then found that hole, and I would have gone on the left tire track until right. I could fill that hole in. So. Okay. So so let's talk about these the the top mistakes, top four mistakes. Okay. What what is number one, do you think, on the list? Too fast. 
too fast. And, and uh, man, I can't agree with you more. I just re- I just watched a video just yesterday and this guy pulls up to, to a water crossing. His buddy's filming it. And he sits there for a minute, just maybe 10, 12 feet from the water, stares at it. And you can see him. He's psyching himself up. This, this is the preparation, <laughs> right? He's yeah. psyching himself up. Then he gasses it hard. He slams into that water and he wiggles his way, sitting down on the seat, wiggles his way across until he gets about three quarters of the way across and they switch to a helmet cam at this point. And you can see his head flicking around. He's not really looking where he's going. He's just looking all over the place. You can see down in the water that it's not very deep. This is not very deep at all, this crossing. But he's so freaked out about it. He actually stops and stalls the bike three quarters of the way across the video, yeah. <laughs> across the river rather. And, and that's it. So his preparation was to sit and stare at it and then to hit it hard and fast and then eventually <laughs> just peter out. And you see this everywhere. Yeah. When it comes to pictures of water crossings, you'll see people hitting the water so hard that it blows the water up over top of the rider. And what happens to us at that speed? I mean, describe what exactly what we're putting ourselves into there. Well, you can actually float the front end. Um, I've been in water puddles that were very long maybe eight inches deep and on a dirt bike, you can hit them at a pretty good pace, maybe 25 miles an hour. And it's a spectacular V of water that comes off your front tire. But the problem is it comes back and hits your boots. I've had my boots taken right off the peg by that water blast. Yeah, I have too. (laughs) So it's, it's crazy going really fast. It looks great on video, but the crash will look even better for your friends. So we always tell customers, ride at the speed you'd be comfortable crashing at. Mm. If you don't need 10 miles an hour to cross the little river or streams or puddles, do five. Where you really need the shot is just to get up the bank. You don't need it to get across water. Yeah, yeah. What's number two? Too slow. Too slow. Where it's the opposite. You need some momentum in case you hit, you know, a little boulder or a little rut. And that change in speed is just enough to snuff the bike out. So if you're not covering your clutch, it's very easy to stall just in water alone. Imagine running down the beach with just feet. As soon as you hit the water above knee depth, displacement slows your speed down. And that happens in water a lot. So don't follow your friend in really close to them because the water's going to slow them down and you may run into them. Mm, right. And that's sort of the same with everything, isn't it? With When it comes to riding motorcycles, in particular with adventure bikes, but any bike, uh, any vehicle for that matter, if you're in an off-road situation, momentum is your friend. You definitely need it, but you can't overdo it. It's one of those things, it's kind of like spice. You know, yes. a little bit is, is great. Too much is no good at all. Exactly. And that takes some experience watching others. So don't go first. Don't be the hero. You know, unless you're the chief instructor, you have to. <laughs> and then and then crash in front of everyone. <laughs> but number three, uh, people change direction once in the water. So you'll get crossed up in ruts and that throws you over the bars. Mm, right. Okay. And what do you have for number four? I think it encompasses most of the other little niggly issues. I just call it poor planning. Mm. Your speed's wrong. You're sitting down rather than standing. You didn't have an exit point on the other side. You didn't 
look, is there a great big bank that I'm going to have to get out of the water up? Because that's usually the case with streams or rivers. And if you go through first, you're going to have an easier time getting up that bank. But once a couple of bikes have dragged water up onto the bank, now it could be very slippery mud. Mm. So it'd be worth your while to go first. Not let well, your buddy go first. Sense. Maybe second. Maybe second. Yeah, second might be your yeah. your good spot because that's what I was going to say. The too fast thing. Totally. Um, I was going to say um, not checking the crossing because it seems that so many people just come up to a crossing and they think that if they go fast they will make it through. Well, if you're going fast and you find a hole like you did, or you find a rock or something else that's going to rocket you off the side, you could be in in real trouble. And you know, a lot of the crossings, if you get on some of the old logging roads or or some of the old rail lines, a lot of the crossings are narrow, so you've got this bed that's built up. Up. And if you go veering off that, you're into who knows how deep a water. Yeah. yeah fishing. So fishing, exactly. So um, when, it, when it comes to the water crossing, like the first thing that you do when you come up to a water crossing or that you should do when you're instructing people is what? I would say pre-crossing, there's a few things to think about. Is there a big current? Uh, how deep is it all the way across? So I love waterproof boots. I've got a couple pairs one is for trials riding and they're waterproof. And we always walk a section first to see, you know, the line that you're going to pick and kind of mentally think of it. You're on your boots, but I'm going to be on my bike. Can I get over this way? What's the best line? You, you do that so, for trials, you mean? Yes. No, I see. And you're, you're allowed to walk a section. So it's the same thing out on an adventure bike. There's a river to cross. I don't know how deep it is. I'm going to go in there with my boots. Hopefully it's not over them because even waterproof boots, the big problem is the hole at the top. Mm. And then I'll get a stick and I'll move that in front of me. So I'll find the real depth or the holes before I step in them. And that will tell you if there's big boulders because maybe it's murky water stirred up by another rider perhaps. And you might not see obstacles that are in the water if you just charge in there. What do you think about, um, there's a lot of people that say, cool your bike down before you make a water crossing. Yeah, it has some value. Like our dads told us, if your car overheats, don't fill up the rad with coolant when the engine is off mm -hmm. because then cold water is going to hit that block that's really hot and it could crack it. Now I've never heard of an actual breakage in a bike because the rider hit the water, you know, too hot. Too hot. Yeah, and that's the, what I was gonna say. And the and the water, the cold water cracked anything. I mean, yeah, to me, it's, I've never heard of it. No, me neither. And, and to me, it's one of those things that, it, like, it makes sense when you think about it in your mind. But in reality, like, cool for a bike is operating temperature, and it's not cool. There's nothing cool about it at all. Uh, really, no. from riding, like, when when the bike um gets warmer, it's usually because the frame and everything starts to heat up as well as the engine. The engine's already at an operating temperature. So if you ride in a hot day, the bike will heat up as in all the fairings, the plastic, the metal. That's where you'll feel there's more of a heat sink there. But I don't think any of it is bothered by being dunked into water. Not that I've heard of. And, you know, racing enduros, you're cooking it through the bush. Then you come to a big water crossing. Mm -hmm. Guys don't stop 
and let their bikes cool off. They yeah. just, <laughs> you know, you're, you'd time out. So you got to hammer into it. And I've never heard of an issue other than too much water. <laughs> yeah. But the same thing is if you're riding along on a really hot day and you hit a rainstorm, like a real gush of a rainstorm, and you don't see bikes all pull no. over the side of the road because they're letting it cool or they didn't let it cool and they cracked their exhaust and those sorts of things. Yeah. Not an issue. So checking the water, I mean, that makes so much sense. And, and, and that is such a huge thing is trying to figure out what the crossing is. As you're saying, walk it if you can, use a stick. Absolutely. Um, and the other thing I was going to mention is what about erosion? I mean, we, we need to take into account that we're actually making the crossings at the correct place, don't we? Exactly. Um, erosion's a big issue, not just for the soil displacement that your knobby or aggressive tread's going to do, but the water it will get very murky because you're chewing up the soil that floats downstream that could harm spawning beds for fish so we don't want to do it a lot and you don't want to do it in 20 different places across one stream Mm. what we've done in a couple places is put some big flat stones where the current will go around them but it allows us a spot to get our tires across without disturbing the soil. Right. And a lot of people will say, I mean, I hear this from people that saying, well, we've been doing it our whole life and it's never caused any problem. I also talked to a guy who was a logger and he said when uh, here on Vancouver Island, he said when he was younger, he said what they used to do is they, they got paid by the skid and they would take to the streams to drag the logs because it was faster oh. for them and they would rip them through. The These are salmon uh, bearing streams. Yeah. Now, yes, they did it. Yes, those things have been done in the past, but we know better now. We understand erosion. We understand if you make a new trail up the side of the of the creek, you're going to rip up the soil. Water is going to run down there, as you said, and, and end up putting silt into the water and then erode the bank. So it is an, an important consideration, in particular, I guess, with adventure bikes, because we're so big and powerful. Big, big tires. And that could close down entire riding areas mm. or clubs will have to build bridges across. Right. Be- yeah. Environmentally, you've got to be very sensitive. For instance, adventure riding in some parts of the world you'll never be able to go across water. I'm I'm thinking I met the German and the Swiss team on a GS challenge. They couldn't really practice hardcore in their own countries. They all traveled to other countries where there was less restrictions environmentally. Right. Huh. Okay, that, that um, that's interesting. The, now, I was going to mention the, the other thing with checking the um, the route with the water. Um, you, you also want to be wary of what you're or aware of what the surface is underneath that water. Yes, um, you're lucky if it's gravel because then you've got good traction for front tire and for powering out. You've got good gravel traction, but if it's all mud or their sticks or debris boulders, that changes the way you can steer through it, obviously, and the traction. Mm. And if it was, even if it was a, um, a concrete um, passing that was, so you get those spots where they have it concreted underneath the water and you go across, that can easily have algae on it. I, I know there's other times I've come along trails and this is where riding too fast will, will put you down where you're, where there's in the one case I'm thinking of here is extended water crossing. It's not so much a water crossing, it's a wet area and you get lots of traction through a bunch of it. And then there's this one section that is so slippery. You'd swear that somebody squirted dishwashing soap down into it and, and it must be the algae on the rocks. But um, if you're not going slow enough that you can keep control of the bike, if I was going fast or something like that, there's a good possibility you're going to be put down. 
Yes, and I think where a lot of our adventure rider listeners, where water crossing knowledge is relevant, is they're in Peru or somewhere after four days of heavy rain. Now the roadway is a water crossing, so it's definitely going to be very slippery. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so we 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 check the surface of the water. What's next? I want to make sure my bike is prepped before I attempt anything fairly deep. Mm, prepped, like you mean prepped before you go on the trip or prepped well, right there at the crossing? People that I've met that want to do big water, they don't even know where their air filter is for height. Mm, their air like intake it, and their air filter. Yeah. yeah. Is it underneath your seat? Is it higher? Um, do you know how to take the spark plugs out? Do you have any tools? Do you have a toe strap in case you water it out? Because there's a lot of things that can go wrong if you drowned that engine. And if you're way out in the bush, is it really worth the thrill of crossing the river if there's a good chance that your bike's going to be damaged or not running halfway across? Now what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. It, let me ask you, though, if you came up to a spot that was, let's say, a reasonable crossing, not a, not a very deep crossing, maybe it's up, up to your knees. Because I think in particular with moving water, you don't want to be over your have moving water over your knees. Yeah. And, you, and you're, in, you're, you're sort of nervous about crossing this. Would it make more sense to, to actually do the walk across at that point? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Especially if I've never done it before. We did a rally annually in New Brunswick, and it's called the Fundy Rally. 500 kilometers one day and you get to select routes A, B, and C. C give you huge points because everybody has a transponder. So at a home base, they can tell on the computer where your team is. But it rains so torrentially one year, water crossings across rivers that they'd done three days before to make sure everything was okay. Then there was this huge rainstorm and I got down to the river leading three gentlemen from BMW head office and they were all gung-ho, very good riders, some of them road racer types, but they said, okay, this is, this is what a GS is all about. Let's go across this river. And I said, that looks a lot higher than last year. Let me check with the stick. And it was three feet deep in the deepest spot. I got soaked and it was cold. But to me, I'd rather get wet than get my engine wet. These chuckleheads, I hope they're not listening, (laughs) they still wanted to go. (laughs) And I'm going, go right ahead. I'll stay here. Uh, What I suggest is we backtrack, turn right up that trail, see if we can find a bridge across this river. There's got to be one. And then we'll make our way back to the other side. Well, as we're discussing this, two other guys showed up and one guy had a small bike, a WR250R. And he said, oh no, I did this last year. And I said, yeah, but it's like a foot higher. No, no, I can do this. So without even getting his boots wet, he rode right in. The current you could see was very, very fast because sticks were moving out of the field of vision fast. So he and his WR floated away down the river about a mile till he could make it to the other side. Wow. And there's a great video on YouTube of this bike. They put it in uh, a high gear and rolled the back tire 
because you don't want to use your electric start even if you have the spark plug out because there's so much water in there that could cause damage. So you just roll the back tire with it in gear and the water squirting out of the spark plug hole about 20 feet in the air. The, ex the exhaust was full. And once they got all the water out and drained a little bit of fuel out of it, they towed it for about 20 minutes before it fired. Yeah. Yeah. Once you get water inside, it can be a, a real problem. There's no doubt. You know, yeah. there's a, there's another video that circulated, I guess, a few years back now of somebody, I think it was during some sort of flood uh, where the guy went in and I guess he was going to do this heroic crossing and it gets too deep and it pushes the bike over and he goes swimming. And actually it, was, it looked near death really because it was serious flood stuff. But I think what people often don't realize when they look at current is even a current that isn't moving all that fast, but is moving. Once you expose too much surface to it, you, you just get pushed downstream and you have no power to stop it. It's like walking in with a sheet of plywood and, and letting sliding the sheet of plywood in front of you perpendicular to the current and try and hold your position. I mean, it's just going to shove you downstream. And that's what happens with a bike. We have this tiny little contact patch the size of a credit card and then the water hits our side and hits all the fairings and hits our leg and then starts our body. And the next thing you know, you're downstream. Yeah. Another thing I do, Jim, is I make sure anything electronics I'm carrying with me on my adventure ride is in waterproof bags. So mm. I always carry big freezer bags, you know, those Ziploc kind of things. Yeah. And I've used them for many, many things, even draining a waterlogged engine. Once I got it running again, I checked the oil and it was way up and it was milky white. So I drained half a freezer bag of oil that I could safely carry out with me till I got to a gas station. Then I drained all the oil twice, putting, it was just gas station Texaco 10W30, but it was better than running with a milkshake consistency of oil in there. Mm, what a great thing to, to mention right there, that Ziploc with the oil, rather than draining it on the ground. Yeah, it should oh, be. No. Uh, and if you have yeah. oil with you, if you've got oil with you that you're pouring in, you've got an empty container. So you use your Ziploc, you, you drain your old oil into that. And then if you can, you can always cut a hole in the corner and fill up your empty oil container. You've got a more sealed container if you're going any distance. Exactly. But, you know, your phone, your watch, your camera, think about before you charge into that river, do you have, you know, uh, I always carry those dry bags, they're yellow, mm -hmm. and you roll the top. So my clothes have actually, when my bike's fallen over, they're still dry. Because when I'm camping, and it's, you know, I'm in the Yukon or someplace, I've got to have a change of clothes because I'm soaked. Yeah. And if the weather is cold and the water is cold, I mean, the water doesn't even have to be cold, but if the weather is cold outside, it doesn't have to be all that cool. You can get hypothermia. So it's something you, you yeah. think about. I mean, it could be your very survival. So, yeah, all great points. So, okay, so we, we've walked it. We, we've picked out our line. Um, we checked our bike to see if we're, we're actually prepared to do this. You did mention um, the the tools to pull out your spark plugs, which we can, we can, and you mentioned a little bit about that, which we can touch on again. Yeah. But, um, okay, so what's next now? Were we ready to cross? Yeah, if it's not too deep and it looks like good traction, there's not big boulders, I'll ride across it, but I'm standing up mm. and I'm on the balls of my feet. And that really helps because if current or a rut, something moves my bike's front wheel to the right, I'm going to lean on that left foot peg and steer 
with my feet. If you're sitting on your butt, the center of gravity is too high and you can't steer with your feet. You've only got handlebar. The other thing I do is make sure I'm covering my clutch. So I've got two fingers over the clutch. If I really hammer into a log I didn't see or a rock, what I'll do is slip the clutch in, rev it up, power through it or bounce off it, but I'm not going to stall. If you have your left hand all the way around the grip and you hit something, your bike's dead in the water. Mm. And that's, now, and that's a, you, you say this with all the skills. I mean, you're, you're always yeah. telling us, keep your fingers on the, on that clutch lever, slow speed. Yeah, my, my two fingers next to my thumb don't bend anymore. They're just straight out there. <laughs> hey, what now a lot of people will tell you, keep a finger, keep your thumb over the kill switch as you're about to make yeah. this crossing. Not a fan of that. But with my luck, I, I turn it off inadvertently. Mm-hmm. I think if you use your engine kill switch every time you shut your motorcycle off in normal life, your muscle memory will be able to find that in the dark without looking at it. Yeah, it's a basic skill, isn't it? It's one of those things you need to know. And, and I think you've said that before when we've talked. I forget what we were covering, but you were saying about knowing your controls, know where they are, and using it every time, then you're going to know. It's, it's going to be such a habit for you, you won't even think twice, not reaching up and trying to get the ignition switch off. Exactly. A lot of people shut their vehicle off with the key. Then they go to Patagonia and rent a different brand of motorcycle. The key could be anywhere. People go to, let's say they go to Patagonia to rent a motorcycle and it's a different brand that they have. Now something goes wrong. Maybe the throttle sticks, you get a B in your helmet. Your brain is going to say, shut this thing off. So you're going to relinquish partial control reach out with your right hand to where the key is on your bike and it's not there. So now your eyes are down. Whereas if you always shut it off with the kill switch, by law, the kill switch is by your right thumb on every motorcycle made, unless it's an old trials bike or a dirt bike. Mm -hmm. But every street legal bike has to be by your right thumb. So your lights will stay on, you kill the engine and the emergency is avoided. Hey, uh, you mentioned about knowing where your air intake is. How do you find your air intake? Well, you can look down at your engine. If you've got a carburetor, follow the black plastic hose that is at the back of the carb and it goes up through the frame of the bike, usually under the seat or accessible by the left or right side cover. And that's where air often gets into the system. It's behind the fuel injection or the carburetor. And your owner's manual will show you if you can't figure it out. But most bikes have a spot up high, especially adventure bikes, dirt bikes, because they know we're going to go into water. And the air filter will be foam. So you can wring it out and clean it because we're going to do that a lot more than a Goldwing's paper air filter. Nothing is worse than getting cold feet, mainly because it's uncomfortable, but it also drains your energy. It often makes you head home early because once your feet are cold when you're riding a motorcycle, it's really tough to warm them up again. And even when you stop and you pull your feet out and you warm them by a campfire or by the heater at a lunch stop, it seems they get cold even faster when you get back on your bike. I mean, the whole boot is cold 
And the fact of the matter is, the socks that you're wearing just aren't that good. Now, that is unless, of course, you're wearing Pearly's Possum Socks. Pearly's Possum Socks are sort of the official sock of Adventure Rider Radio, not because they advertise, but because I love them. I've been tramping around the woods since I was small, and I have tried a lot of socks over those years, but never, ever have I come across a pair of socks that feel as good as these or that keep my feet as warm as Pearly's Possum Socks. They're made with a special blend of merino wool and possum fur that um, keep your feet warm and they wick away the moisture, all using natural materials that, um, that feel great on your feet. Their website is pearlyspossumsocks.com and uh, anytime you're dealing with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Pearlyspossumsocks.com Now is probably the best time to improve the performance of your ride and your ability to ride it by improving essential gear. Your foot pegs are your sole connection to your motorcycle and they are your ticket to better handling and comfort, particularly when standing. IMS Products makes a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs that they've designed specifically for us riders and the way we ride with the bikes we're riding. Their specially designed ADV-1 and ADV-2 style pegs are just the ticket for adding control, connection, and reducing strain on your feet. And if you ride the real tough stuff, maybe you're riding plenty of rocks, tight spaces, uh, deep ruts, things like that, they also have a peg for you. Have a look at what they've got at imsproducts.com. And anytime you're dealing with them, email or, or you're dropping in or you see them at a show, please throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. That's imsproducts.com. Okay, so um, we're, we're ready to make our crossing. You said you're, you're going to stand up. Um, yes. What do we do? Now, I'm not going to hit it in third gear. I'll be in first gear with, from some experience, judging how much momentum I need to get across. Thinking that I don't want a huge, big bow wave kicking back, soaking me, soaking the bike. The as we said earlier, an issue most people have is too fast. And you things go wrong happens faster, obviously, with more speed. So if you're going five miles an hour and you hit that log you didn't see, you might be able to recover at five miles an hour. At 10, the front end's gone and you're swimming. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the bow wave. That is something you hear people talk about. They say you have to go at the correct speed to make a bow wave. <laughs> uh, I well, mean, just concentrating the- on that to me is like, that's something you do not, you should not be looking at in front of your motorcycle, no. not at down at your wheel while you're making your crossing. That's not where your, your eyes should be focused. Exactly. The only issue I've ever seen a bow wave have is in a competition. They literally took a backhoe, dug a big hole, filled it with water. So the first guy going through did it at the perfect speed. He got out the other side. The second guy went really fast. So now the front end of the motorcycle, forks and front wheel, are pushing water in front of it as it displaces. That bow wave hit the opposite bank and it's coming back like a tsunami. The faster you go, the higher that return wave is. And that went over the level of the guy's airbox. And he watered out his bike. He never got out of the puddle. He got zero demerit points. Mm. So, you, you know, the thing is, the, 
the thing is with this is that I think this comes from four wheeling this this idea of making the bow wave because with four wheel drives you when you when you do a, a water crossing like that you will try and make that bow wave so you have the, the sort of the dip where your engine is so I ideally as you're going across you've got a bow wave in front of your vehicle and you've got a dip where your engine is and when you get to the other side the wheels um, hit the the ground that tapers upward your vehicle lifts up and then you are moved away from the water as the wave goes and flattens out and, and rushes back. Um, but with motorcycles, th- there's no real need. If you, if I, in my mind, if you're going at the speed where you're having to make that bow wave, where you're having to need that little two inch dip by your engine, by your air intake, um, you're just, you're destined for trouble. It's too deep. Yeah. It's just, you yeah. shouldn't be in there to begin with. Yeah. Uh, ride at the speed you want to crash at or travel the depth of water <laughs> well below or uh, the water level should be well below your air box height. Right. And the thing is, a lot of people get freaked out about water. Tons of everybody gets freaked out about water crossing. It seems it's, it's like a big deal. And, and for some reason there's this thing of, they want to blast through it as fast as they can, which we talked about is is our, you know, the, the, the first thing is going too fast, but that we shouldn't be scared of it because if the water is the right depth for us to be making a crossing, what's the big deal other than a wet foot. If you have to put a wet, uh, if you have to put a foot down and stop. I wanted to impress that upon people you know, the instructor is going to tell you, no, you should be standing up, balls of your feet, all the stuff I was just talking about. To heck with that. If you're about to lose the front end, you lose some confidence. Nobody's there scoring you. Sit down and paddle through if you have to. Mm-hmm. Don't stop. Keep that momentum going and then duck walk it through. Who cares? Yeah. The object's to get to the other side. And then you'll, you'll build your skills anyway as you go, won't you? Exactly. So, so we're, we're doing the, how far do we get into the crossing? Do we do the crossing? You, you said about. Yeah, we're pretty well on the other side. Now your eyes should be up sighting your exit point. Ah, so, so when you're, when you're hitting the water, you should already be looking at the other side then. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And if it's wider than a single track, usually wider vehicles with multi sets of wheels have gone through there. So look on the bank before you hit the water. If there's big ATV or four-wheel drive truck ruts, guess what? In the water, they're there as well. You just can't see them. So you have to ride either on the crown, that little high spot in the middle. But if it's slippery, that makes it more challenging. Yeah. Or try to get in a rut and risk that it doesn't get too deep where someone got stuck and really made a big hole. That's why I walk through it first. But um, your exit point will have a lot to do with your entry point because you can't really change ruts midstream. That can cause the front end to wash out. Right. And then we don't, we don't want to change ruts at any time, do we? I mean, changing ruts is difficult if, if traction is low. If not it's impossible. Good way to crash, yeah. Yeah, because you end up cross, but stuck between two. What, what do you call it? Cross track? Cross rutting. Cross rutting, yeah. You end up stuck yeah. like that. And, uh, and then you can get off and, and work and then end up flopping the bike over on its side to drag it over and <laughs> and let all your buddies get that shot while you're doing that. Yeah. So, so okay. So it, it doesn't sound that hard, what, you know, what you've just described. It, it doesn't sound that difficult. What do you think the, the big problem is with water crossing? Uh, As we were talking about two speed or not the appropriate speed, it's either too slow and then you don't have the momentum to get through 
where the traction is tougher or to get out the elevated bank, you don't have enough momentum and speed. And once you're on the slippery bank, that's a really dumb time to add throttle. Mm. You have to add the throttle when you're still on the gravel bottom. So you get that oomph, that momentum charge to get out. Okay, so what happens if we, I, I'm going to coin this phrase, but what happens if we Clinton out, if, yeah. <laughs> if we drop the bike? And uh, well, let's just talk about that. What happens if you drop the bike? Well, what, in my case, the bike watered out and it shut off on its own accord. Um, if, you know, you realize it's about to tip Sorry, over. Sorry, let me interrupt. That, that's the worst case scenario though, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the exactly. worst thing. To have it quit on its own, that, then you know you're, you're sort of in deep. It's hydrolocked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where there's so much water inside the engine. Imagine a few cups of water above a piston and the motion of the engine hooked up to a gear and the bike's running. You're trying to compress that water with the valves closed. Water doesn't compress. So the worst case scenario at really high RPM, I know guys that have bent connecting rods on race bikes when they went into water so fast when they watered out and you have to completely rebuild the engine. Wow. On a race bike, that probably doesn't hurt that much because they're used to doing it. But on on one of our bikes, that's going to hurt. Yeah. The bike's down for a long time. Yeah. Waiting for parts and your mechanic to do it. So And your wallet to open and drain. Oh, boy, that's a very expensive fur. So now that I'm old, I look (laughs) at a water crossing And I think, you know, is the thrill I'm going to get for getting through this worth the possible things that could go wrong? That's what I think about now. It sounds like wisdom, Clinton. It sounds sounds like you're becoming wise. How long does it take? (laughs) About 40 years. (laughs) Because I'm using trails that I've honestly been riding for over 50 years since my first mini bikes at six years of age. I still ride in that area. Really? And a lot of it is crown land. It'll never be sold, which means it's the same water crossings. Some of it's changed with time or bridges or erosion. But to think of the speeds I used to fly through the bush, and I never thought that anything had ever would change in that river. I can go through that in third gear with one wheel in the air. Uh, but now I'm, <laughs> I've grown up or matured or something. And I think, wow, that could be eroded from last year the way water eddies and flows, it'll take a bank right out with erosion. It is nice. It is a real sense of accomplishment and a thrill to get through. But uh, what I've seen in the eyes of our customers who've never done it, four inches of water is more than enough to make you feel that you've learned something and accomplished something. You don't need a three foot river mm-hmm. for your first time. That, that's, that's that's adventure motorcycling though, isn't it? That's why we do it because it's sort of the thrill of taking a bike that's really too big for what you're doing and learning some skills to get it through. You just have to be um, aware of what you're doing, like the consequences of what you're doing and understand that there's, um, uh, you know, there's ramifications for your actions with this big, heavy adventure bike. And it really helps to have a variety of riding experience under your belt because once you get in the water, the dynamics of traction change, speed changes, 
many things are affected by change in traction. So you have to be able to quickly adjust your riding, pull in the clutch, more throttle, less throttle, peg weight, steer in order to get to the other side. So a brand new adventure bike rider might not have that. So I say start small and shallow and gain some confidence. But most importantly, let your friend go first. <clears throat> you may have to psych him out a bit. Like I would say, Jim, you know this part of British Columbia <laughs> See, better no, than me. <laughs> I wouldn't fall for that. I'd say, no, no, no. <laughs> Clinton, you're the instructor. You go first. <laughs> yeah, but I've hit my head a lot. No, you're more experienced by far. Like, you know, I have, you know you're going first for sure. <laughs> but anybody that does ride through in front of you, don't be adjusting your bike or putting your gloves on. Watch exactly where they go and how their success is. If they get stuck on the left tire track, don't go in there. Once you get their bike out, maybe try the right-hand tire track. Mm -hmm. Well, back to dropping. When we dropped the bike, you mentioned in your case, it quit. Let's talk more about that. Yeah, let's say you're dropping your motorcycle or it's about to fall, even on hard ground. You can really hurt your back, groin, your wonky knee. You're going to cause problems by trying to save it. There's a point where a motorcycle gets to a certain angle. Gravity is going to be stronger than you. Mm. So do your best not to drop it. Plant a foot, stiffen up your arms, try to keep it from falling. But it's just a motorcycle. It's not worth being off of work for two months or wrecking your back just on the second day of this big adventure trip that you've waited a year for. Mm -hmm. Let the thing fall. Adventure bikes are unbelievably tough. And the other thing with it is you're better off to have a wet bike than a wet bike and a damaged back or a strain or a sprain or something, because then you've got two huge problems to deal with. I agree. Yeah. So um, the other thing is, is you were mentioning if it's tipping over, we should have already been on the kill switch. Yes. If it's still running, but it's going over really slowly, I would hit the kill switch as I'm dropping the bike. Yeah. Just so there's no chance of causing internal damage to the bike caused by a lot of volume of water hitting a connecting rod, moving a piston at high speed. That's where the damage comes from, bending valves and internal components, all the expensive stuff. So um, when it comes to, to dropping it, when it's not running, it's not a big deal as far as the engine hydraulicking, but motorcycles are not really meant to be in water. No, and if you just pick it up, and try to start it again, then it could hydraulic lock. Ah, great point. Now, why is that? If I've picked it up out of the water, it's fallen into the water, I've picked it up, shouldn't I be able to just fire it up and go again? Well, think of the average air box. It's like, I don't know, quarter of a gallon of water. Now you're turning over that engine and instead of air, you're sucking water into the intake and that's when it'll hydraulic lock. Mm. Plus your exhaust is full of water. So I, I guess our rule here is then if, if we drop it, even though we've killed the engine and everything on time and it goes into the water, now is the time to get it out dead and then yes. deal with it on the shore. Yeah. If you could get it up to the bank, friends pulling or pushing or towing, and then I would take the seat off if that's where your air box is. Have a look. If there's a few minnows in the air box, you know you've got water in the engine. 
So take the air filter out. Now hang so on a second, because we didn't hydraulic it. So you just said, you know, you've got water in the engine. If there's water in the air box, why is there water oh, in the engine? Oh, you're right, Jim. Um, well, well, no, you're could, right. No, you're right, because a valve can be open. It could still go in through the intake, yeah. Uh, but everything's wet. So what I would do is take the air filter out, pull my spark plug or plugs out, and then if I have a center stand, I will put it on the center stand, put the bike in the top gear, fifth or sixth, and then slowly turn by hand the back wheel over. If you use the electric start button, even with the plugs out, it's just too fast a rotation of the engine and could cause some problems. So we always use that back tire. And as it chugs, water is going to squirt out those spark plug holes. So make sure nobody's looking down at the engine or you're going to get a face full of dirty water. Now, if you've dropped it and you get up onto the shore and you pull your air box apart, and there's a little bit of water in there, but you're not really sure. How about putting it up on the stand with the ignition off so this thing won't, will not start in high gear and then, or laying it outside, whatever you have to do. But I, I guess that standing on the, uh, standing up is obviously the best. And then turning that rear wheel to see if it's actually going to turn the engine over because you're doing it so slow, you're not going to damage anything. Exactly. With the plugs in, the that's plugs a great in. test. Yeah. Great test. Because on some bikes, you have to pull all the fairings off to get your spark plugs out. I mean, it's a huge job and it may not Big be required. Commitment. Yes. And total waste of time. If the thing, as you say, it rolls freely mm-hmm. or it will move, the engine's moving, I would just make sure that I didn't have any in my exhaust. And you can determine that by carefully laying it over on the bank and then tip the bike up. Because most exhausts, have an upward sweep to the tailpipe and it could be full of water all the way up to the head and then uh, I would gently hit the starter if it rolls over and fires fantastic you don't have to pull the plugs what is the um what's the the magic thing that you can do if you're if your bike's hydraulic and you don't want to pull the spark plugs what's Hmm. what's what, what can you do well, good luck. Uh, how are you going to get the engine out? Like you've either have to take the head off. Yeah, exactly. It's just, so it's just, it's not going to work. There is no magic formula. If you not do that it. that I'm aware of. Like, like these are, this is the big process, isn't it? What I'm trying to point out here is that if you do take in water, you've got to figure, okay, you've got some time now. You're going to have to, you're going to have to take stock of your situation and you're going to have to deal with this by pulling those plugs out. There's no way around it. And if it's a huge job, well, unless you have another way to get the bike out, that's going to be your only, your only course of action. Yeah. As you said, some bikes, the spark plug will be underneath the fuel tank. Uh, my KTM 990, I had to pull the fairing off the two fuel tanks because they're left and right to get at the head. So you're talking about, you know, 45 minutes of wrenching and I'd done it many times. And that was a big job. Ask me how how I know that because I watered that bike out in Baja. (laughs) In in Baja, like in the desert? Uh, No, we got to the Sea of Cortez and it's a heavy saturation with uh, salt water. So it's a beautiful place to go whale watching because the right whale, there'll be over a hundred pairs of right whales there. They go to calve and to feed Mm. in their annual rotation. Beautiful place. Anyway, we were there with a video crew and this guy said, Clinton, you're a great rider. 
that's a great way to get some smuck to do something. Just butter them up. What I'd like is a shot of you going through the waves with the waves crashing in on you and your bike. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> and uh, got the bike out, kept it running, but I was completely submerged when these big waves crashed. It was an ocean. So the next day, um, my starter relay had corroded so much with the salt, my bike wouldn't start. Mm. So there wasn't so much water in the engine, but depending on the puddle or the water crossing you're going through, water splashing up on your bike could cause lots of issues. Yeah. And a salt As water I experience. So yeah, I would, I would myself, I, I totally steer clear of salt water for the motorcycle. They're not, um, I guess the electronics are pretty good on newer bikes, but salt water causes so much problem and not right, yeah. like, not right away. And even the next day, but even two weeks down the road from your, your submersion or your splashing or whatever, you can find problems. I, mean, I used to have waterproof radios that would end up corroding because of the salt, even though they're meant for waterproof, they're meant for being around water. And they're meant to be around salt. By the way, I was going to mention the right whale you know how it got its name no because it's the right whale to kill back in the in the, the days of in whaling the day. yeah in the days of whaling it was a, it's a an easy whale to catch it had um, plenty of what they needed and so that's what it was it was Oil. the right whale to kill nice oh, to, isn't that amazing yeah nice to see those numbers coming back though where we're where we're seeing oh, so huge. many of them yeah well, now I, I guess I want to wrap this up by asking, what can we do to practice? If we want to practice, how do you practice for water crossing? Yeah, I think to start with, those basic skills for adventure bike riders, whether dry ground or wet, will come into play for water crossing. So you should feel very comfortable standing, squeezing the bike with your knees and boots, but very loose grip on the handlebars especially relevant for water crossings that have soft bottoms because that front wheel is going to move around. Let it, but if you're white knuckling it, you're going to fight it and that could throw you over the bars. Cover the clutch with two fingers and your eyes should be up looking where you want to go, not staring in front of your front wheel because things change. All of a sudden the bike will be pointing <laughs> to the bank to the right and you're going to go downriver if you don't cover the clutch and watch where you're going. So really what you're saying here is you're sending us right back to basics. You know, get those basics down for anything we're doing on the bike. Exactly. We don't teach water crossings till the end of the second day on a two-day adventure course because we want to make sure people have all the basics before we throw them in. It's an added element to our riding at slow speed that changes the way the front wheel works and the way traction at the back wheel is. So you've got to have a little experience. So once we practice our, our, our basic skills, then, um, then what can we do? Find some water? Yeah, find some water where you're allowed to be that it's not going to upset the leopard frogs or the brook trout just downstream of you. And you don't want to chew up the banks on either side. That causes erosion. Unless you own your own forest system, most of us ride our adventure bikes in an area that's multi-use. So the uh, hikers, backpackers, all the other people that use that same water crossing are going to be really upset 
And you being a moron paints all of us with the same brush. Not you, Jim, but I'm speaking. <laughs> I know you're saying, you know. metaphorically speaking, I get it. Yes. <laughs> um, and then they hate all motorcyclists. Yeah, so that's so true. And if you have a trail system that you normally use, and it's gravel, sand, whatever it is, after heavy rains, there's going to be lots of puddles there in every depression. So you've got a day before it evaporates, saturates down into the soil. And they're great for practicing. So stand up, slowly go through it, and get the sensation of that front wheel changing once it displaces water. Because the front end could get a little lighter, it could get heavier if it's soft mud, and that's going to change your speed. So all the tips of standing, eyes up, ride the clutch, have your two fingers over the clutch, they're all relevant for a six foot long puddle or a 50 foot river to cross. It's all the same. And with more practice, your confidence goes up. And you can do all the practicing of stopping the bike, getting a stick, walk through, pick your line, and away you go. Clinton, thank you very much once again. I always have fun when we do this and I always learn stuff. This is great. Awesome. And the last thing I'll leave you with, let your friend go first. You'll learn a lot from watching them. <laughs> awesome. All the best, Jim. I've been speaking with Clinton Smout from Smart Adventures in Ontario, Canada, and his website is smartadventures.ca. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com. Also, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com, Green Chili Adventure Gear at greenchiliadv.com, and Moto Breeze Chain Oilers at motobreeze.com. Hey, you do us a great favor. If anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime you see them anywhere, you mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, of course, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this. Hey, remember, we have all of our episodes available at our website, and, and virtually anywhere you find podcasts, you can find Adventure Rider Radio and our other show that we do, Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Raw comes out once a month. You need to subscribe separately to that. It's a separate show. We have show notes for all of the episodes that we do, both for Raw and for Adventure Rider Radio, available at our website. Um, you can drop by there and check it out. And in those show notes, we'll often uh, have photographs that haven't been seen before, and we'll have a little bit of information and some links as well to the things that we've talked about. So drop by the website and have a look. And then also, the show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. We need your support. If you're not doing it already, please drop by the website, click on support, and consider helping out. Consider becoming one of our patron team. We would love to have you there. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. If not, um, maybe plan a trip for the for the upcoming season. My name is Jim Martin. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.
Bill Canacci, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. 